and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Fenstaden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and a very good morning in Washington D.C. to Yuan Sun, who is a uh, first-time uh, participant on our show, and she's a visiting scholar or visiting fellow at the Brookings Institute, which is a major, major think tank in Washington. Uh, Yuan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. And if you're not familiar with Yuan's work,、uh, she has a great blog over on the Brookings Institute website at brookings.edu, where a lot of the work that she's doing is on、uh, U.S.-China-Africa, but particularly China-Africa relations. And what we'd like to do today, Yuan, is really get a kind of a, a U.S. perspective on, on on this relationship. In particular, I'd like to start by asking you. What was the reaction in Washington, if there was a reaction, to the visit of、uh, Prime Minister Li Keqiang in Africa? I really didn't get a sense that this registered much on the radar in Washington, which is, in my view, a mistake. But did, was it different inside the Beltway from your perspective?、Um, well, actually, I agree with you. I don't think the visit by Premier Li Keqiang has raised major attention from the Washington policy community. Um, one reason that could potentially explain that is、um, Premier Li Keqiang's visit in Africa was primarily focused on economic cooperation and、um, and related infrastructure cooperation. So those issues they don't necessarily、um, they don't necessarily touch the nerves of Washington folks. Well, the thing that touches、um, the nerve of Washington folks is if he talked about Al Qaeda or if he talked about security, because infrastructure <laughs> and investment really doesn't get very far in Washington. I agree with you, and people in Washington generally believe that if China wants to promote economic development in Africa, that's that's a great idea, and it's also in the interest of the United States. So there's very little opposition to that, other than some organization or some individuals concern about the. Um, about the moral aspects of related to China's investment or China's economic cooperation with Africa,、uh, but you're right. Just like you said, unless those issues, meaning the issues of China-Africa cooperation, touches on the issues such as security cooperation, or China's military expansion, or China's strategic expansion in the continent, economic issues are usually regarded as those so-called safe issues or comfortable issues for the United States here. Yeah, has there been a shift、um, in Washington perceptions of Africa? I mean, is Africa mostly still seen as as essentially,、uh, you know, kind of a, a a benighted place that we need to help through aid, or is as you know, is has the narrative of Africa, you know, kind of being a good investment opportunity?、Uh, I'm sure you have better answers to that question than I do, but in my personal view. I think, in the back of a lot of people's mind, that is the perception that Africa is a is a continent that needs U.S. attention, needs U.S. assistance.、Um, but I would say that the narrative about Africa in the policy community in Washington has been changing, and the policy folks、uh, and the government are trying to portray Africa as a rising opportunity for the United States as well, both in the sense of、um, of economic cooperation. For trade, for investment, and also for other cooperation. Well, you say it's a you know there's a, a growing awareness. Every time that I, you know, check in to watch those three-hour C-SPAN hearings on the hill on either the House or the Senate of you know a subcommittee on on foreign relations talking about Africa and China,、uh, there's two things that kind of come to mind. One is 
um, the incredible stupidity, particularly on the House, of, of, of both the perceptions of China and the perceptions <laughs> of, uh, of Africa. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. And I really feel bad for people like you and people like Ambassador Shin and, and Deborah Braudigam who have to, I don't know if you've ever had to go up to the hill, but they sit there and it's <laughs> like they're teaching a fourth grade class on geography and a fourth grade class on geopolitics. Um, and really trying to really overcome these incredibly archaic stereotypes that a lot of policymakers have about both Africa and, and China. And I think it's interesting what you were saying about how the Americans don't see the economic engagement that China is doing on, in Africa as any kind of competitive threat. And at the same time, if you listen to Senator Chris Coons from Delaware or people who actually do know something, they are sounding the alarm bell as fast as they can that says, if we don't get American businesses into Africa, engage, get the policy apparatus going, get AGOA, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, passed and supportive and get Obama to finally pay attention to the continent, it will be too late. And it will turn into a political act. And I think it's interesting what you were saying in terms of how in Washington they didn't necessarily interpret, you know, Li Keqiang's visit as anything political. Of course, he did make a, an address before the African Union. Uh, you know, all of these relationships that he's building are inherently political by definition when he meets with presidents, prime ministers, and, and, and other policymakers on the African side. So it seems to me there's a big misreading in Washington of the challenge that China's presenting and in terms of overcoming the ignorance on the Hill, in the policy community, there's a long way to go. What, what's your thought on that? Well, the description of uh, the competitive nature between U.S. and China in their relationships with, with Africa is quite popular and is quite a common perception here in the U.S. policy community. Although, when you look at the facts, well, here's the problem. If we cannot, we, meaning the American or the, or the United States, cannot get our acts together and treat Africa as a priority like Beijing does. We cannot really complain about what Beijing is doing in the continent. It would be politically wrong to say that Li Keqiang, uh, Premier Li Keqiang, or his trip presents a threat to the, to the U.S. simply because, simply because his trip further strengthens China's existence and China's presence in, in Africa when well, we are not doing anything to, to really actively compete with that. And that one side is uh, when Chinese President Xi Jinping um, became the president of China last, last March, the March of 2013, he chose Africa to be the first destination of his um, to be the destination of his first overseas trip. So my question is, when is the U.S. president after inauguration ever? Pick Africa as his first destination of overseas trip. Probably not in a in a long time to come. So what I'm trying to say is, Beijing is treating Africa with a sense of urgency and a sense of high priority, but U.S. is not. So from that sense, we cannot really complain about the good job that China is doing in Africa. Well, we are not getting our acts together. Yeah, it's a fair point, Kobus. 
you know, kind of the um, Lee Kachang's um, visit to Africa also like very almost overlapped with with John Kerry's visit to 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 some other African countries um, recently. Um, can you give us an idea about how those two visits were seen in 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 the U.S. and and like uh, whether you know kind of whether they were compared at all in 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 the U.S. Um, discussion within the Beltway? I have not seen much comparison between these two trips. Probably because John Kerry's trip was more um, was more focused on the political and security issues, while the Kachang's trip was more on the economic front. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that kind of that contrast I think was 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 remarked on in certain cases in Africa as well, where you know kind of where I think Kerry actually came in for a little bit of criticism because he was he was perceived as as um, as being as preaching a bit to, to Africa, whereas um, obviously Li Keqiang came with with many many new contracts and lots of lots of new infrastructure deals. Um, so I think in, in the African space, the two visits uh, you know kind of were compared, and Kerry's actually you know kind of ended up looking a bit worse than than Li's did. Yeah, that's the other issue when we talk about U.S.-China competition or cooperation in Africa. I think the view of the African countries and the African government and the African people actually matter a lot. Which approach do they do they prefer? Do they prefer the U.S. preaching? Do they prefer the U.S. more like sympathy-based um, approach to Africa, or they they actually prefer the business model that China is building its relationship with Africa on? Well, I think we know the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> no one likes to be lectured to, much less uh, you know, after, for as long as it's been. Let me um, let me go back to your your blog post that you co-wrote with uh, Jane Olin Amentorp uh, on April twenty eighth on the Brookings uh, website. The U.S. and China in Africa: competition or cooperation? And there there was one line in there that really kind of stuck out. And again, I don't know if you wrote this or if Jane did, but. And I just want to kind of challenge you a little bit on on one point here. You write, quote, China is facing an ongoing reputational risk by continuing to make investments that at times can undermine the strengthening of democratic institutions and governance in Africa. It continues to invest in countries with governance challenges, which Western governments generally avoid, such as the Democratic Republic of Congo. Let me just kind of bring up the point that the United States was the largest aid donor to the Mubarak government. The United States supports, uh, you know, obviously has drone bases in Ethiopia, in Djibouti, in Burkina Faso. So I always kind of, my skin crawls a little bit when I kind of hear this criticism of China because it has an implication in it that the West is somehow clean in this, that the West is not supporting undemocratic uh, regimes, that the West is not supporting, um, you know, human rights violators. Uh, And yet, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in my Apple phone right now, I've got minerals that come from that. And and so, in some ways, I think there's a holier-than-thou attitude that the West has that I read in the line that you're putting forth here that says China's doing things that, well, we wouldn't do. Um, How do you you respond to that criticism? Well, I think that's a fair point. I think it's well, when we look at Western companies' investment behaviors or Western company or even Western countries' behaviors in Africa, we also see some similar models. But that by itself does not justify China's behavior. China cannot say that, oh, because West is doing the bad thing, so what we're doing is also justifiable. So I, I do believe that both behaviors or those behavior patterns should be criticized, not only China but also the West. 
Fair enough. I, I guess I wish I would have seen that in, in the post because you, <sighs> your, your, your comment is only on a one-sided side. And again, I don't know who wrote that, but it's just when I see the, the, crit- the critiques of China's investment in Africa, I get a little frustrated that we don't hear the balance that you put forward in your audio response, but not necessarily in the written point. Why do you think it is that, that it, it, the discussion of China's questionable investments, again, not to excuse the Chinese for for supporting dictators and for supporting people who, who, who are not worthy of support. But why is it that it's difficult for people in, in, in Washington and Europe to, to, to offer that kind of balance? Well, because on one hand, in China's actual practice in, in Africa, there are certain behaviors and practices that are not in line with what we in the West believe are the universal human rights values or the universal democratic values. So there is a component to that. And the other reason for that, for the um, the absence that you just pointed out, is because these analyses are focused on China's behavior in Africa, mm-hmm. not the white behaviors in Africa. And these are not comparative studies of China's business model and Western countries' business model in Africa. These studies are focused on what China is doing and what, the, what are the problems associated with China's behavior in Africa. Just to just to extend that point, um, you know the the relationship between the U.S. and China is, is in Africa is frequently described as a competition, um, but I've also seen some people in Washington talk about possibilities for cooperation. Um, on which side of that divide do you come down? And like uh, on the cooperation side, like which opportunities for cooperation do you see? Um, I think it really depends on the issues that you talk about. Because when you look at the trade relations between U.S. and Africa and China and Africa, you see a lot of uh, similarities. The U.S. U.S. trade with Africa or U.S. import from Africa has primarily focused on natural resources from Africa as well. And that has been a priority for China's engaged, economic engagement in Africa. So if you look at these, uh, these economic relations, there are a lot of similarities. So I would I would argue that this relationship is more competitive than cooperative. And if you look at the political and security issues, there are some areas that U.S. and China share common goals, such as the peace and stability in African countries. Although the Beijing and Washington probably have different ideas and different models, different approaches to how to solve those, uh, those challenges in Africa on peace and stability. Then there are issues that we call the non-traditional threats or the non-traditional issues, such as uh, healthcare, um, medical services, um, agricultural cooperation. The, those issues that with less political sensitivity and less economic competitive uh, com- competitiveness are probably the issues that Beijing and Washington will have the most likelihood, most possibility to cooperate on. I guess uh, we're, we're running out of time, so I want one final question for you. You know, I wanted to get the kind of, you know, policymaker, man on the street or woman on the street kind of point of view. When, when you're, you know, at a, I don't know, a cocktail party, a dinner party with, with meeting people who are supposedly in the foreign policy community, people who have a little bit of awareness about the world in Washington, and you tell them that you, you know, you're a fellow at Brookings and they ask you, what do you do? What, what's your field of research and study? And you say, well, I'm in China, Africa. And I'm curious, what, what, are, what do people say? What's their question? What's the most common kind of response that you get for that in, in the kind of wonky, you know, inside the beltway kind of cocktail circuit? I think 
think people are mostly interested in China's strategic plan in Africa, what China really wants to want to achieve in the end, what are China's visions and agendas for this for this relationship, and how that affects the national interest of the United States. I think there is a recognition that U.S. is not putting as much effort to build this relationship as China has. People realize that. But people also want to know what China is doing in Africa that deserves the attention or additional or further attention from, from Washington. Hmm. Kobus, that's actually a more articulate and, and educated response from, from on the hot dog circuit and uh, the small mini hot dog cocktail circuit that I was expecting. Um, <laughs> so, well, you did It was actually because, you know, I'm very, very jaded because every time I go to Washington, I just want to pull my eyeballs out when I get the, 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 just the, the boneheaded type of responses that you get. There's just so I guess you must move in much smarter circle than I do in Washington. But uh, listen, everybody, if you want to follow what Yunsun is doing, uh, head over to the Brookings Institute website. That's brookings.edu. Or you can just head over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project, because every time she writes something, it pops up on our radar and we put it up on Facebook. So you can follow her uh, oh. her work and read. Yes. Are you following us on our Facebook page, by the way? Ah, oh, we caught her. I will be. I hope so. So we'll see. <laughs> well, it's a great way. But listen, there's 180,000 people who are on this page now. I mean, that's huge for China, Africa. Most of them are coming from North Africa and South Asia, but it really is a global discussion. So Yun Sun, we hope that you'll join the conversation over on Facebook. If people want to follow what you're, what you're doing besides the blog uh, over on Brookings, is there a way that they can follow you, say, on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere else? Uh, I'm afraid so far Brookings blog will be the best access to see what I'm doing. Okay, that's fair enough. Hey, Kobus, uh, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with what you're reading and writing these days? Um, I'm on a Facebook page and I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, tweeting the top China-Africa headlines almost every day. And of course, again, over on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. If you'd like to follow this podcast, the best way to do it is either go to iTunes or head over to SoundCloud. Uh, we also have mobile apps for iOS and Android, so you can listen to the podcast right on your cell phone. Uh, we'll be back again uh, very soon in the next few days with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>